0: Welcome to Unlikely Intersections, where intent, impact, and intellect rule our conversations. Interesting thing about intersections is that we all face many intersections daily. The Mm -hmm. way we navigate these determines the trajectory of our days and our lives. Interesting topic today, Terry, and one that, uh, for me, I think is going to be a little uncomfortable. I'm still working to understand, you know, what it might mean, and, Mm. uh, you know, I think... Certainly, it's needed. Mm -hmm. The path to get there may be quite complicated. So it could be one of these discussions where when we end up, it's
1: incomplete. Yep, very true. And I think this is a topic. That was recommended someone wanted us to have this kind of conversation and so uh i believe it to be a great topic it's one it's a conversation that's needed because it, it fits with other conversations that we've had uh on other podcasts so i guess
0: we got to talk about what does reconciliation mean
1: yeah that's a and i guess depending on where you're discussing reconciliation, If it's, are you talking about business? Are you talking about politics? Are we talking about society as a whole? Um, even when we talk about reconciliation, what does it mean? And is it possible to achieve? Right,
0: and there's religion mm-hmm. has played a part it's really and i think it's amazing as i'm sitting here at the start of this conversation and i'm feeling our energy and it's like we're both a little <laughs> on the timid side right it's like wow you know so we always you know, we always hold out that a lot of times the discomfort is where to grow i think that's in the uh, to a certain extent um you know that's the the space we're in when i think about reconciliation you know it, to me it's kind of there's an implication there the the whole re you know means that something has existed before right to a certain extent and the reconciliation part is is a reestablishment of something maybe it's a reestablishing a new norm or maybe it's reestablishing a friendly relationship Uh, Maybe it's getting two things to be compatible, uh, you know, as a starting point definition
1: of how our discussion can go. Yeah, um, I I thought about it as, you know, when you begin to read, that means you're going to restore something back to where it was, right? And that's the difficult thing about, at least I think about reconciliation, the difficult thing for me is, if it's something to be restored, then at some point in time, there was equality. And if we're talking about it from a societal perspective, uh, specifically within the United States, there was, the equality just didn't exist. And so now I have to ask, what are we reconciling? Because it didn't exist. Now, if I'm talking accounting and I'm checking debits and credits, that's one thing. If I, As I go through a checkbook, right? I'm reconciling my checkbook, right? Um, I'm bringing it back to, I'm, I'm checking every transaction to ensure that there wasn't anything missed, and as a result, I don't have more or less than. But it's to ensure some, some type of restoration of equality, and um, in our society, that's difficult. I, I actually, when I think about reconciliation and I think about the truth and reconciliation committee that existed in... South Africa, we kind of talked about this, right? Um, They had the committee, they had the commission that studied it, but the land was never returned to the people nor were the the natural resources. So there's still extreme poverty that's happening in South Africa as a result of the completion of truth and reconciliation. And actually nothing was really conciled other than we are sorry and we know what we did, but we're not giving back these natural resources.
0: Yeah, it's uh, and in the case of, of our country, if you take things at this principle of reestablishment or return to, I mean, what would be acceptable in terms in, in the context of race? Where uh, where would we go, right? Uh, that we would say things are okay uh, to get back to this
1: point, right? And so that means all the indigenous people have to be brought into the conversation, right? And the restoration of land, meaning to taking certain people off of, uh, off of the, uh, oh, man, from from the the uh, what is it called? Um, just gotta, uh, <laughs> I guess, oh, what what is it called when we we talk about old people getting old? Having that, that that brain fart, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Happens <to> all of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it does happen to all of us. We're talking about taking the the, the Indians off of off of their um, reservations, right? And restoring them to land ownership or, or whatever you may call it. But this is a difficult subject because it's, it, it falls in line with me with reparations reconciliation reparations to repair to restore um, the synonymous
0: and one of the things that that we've learned from the example you gave is that man that's pretty difficult yes you know and you, you know and and it's much easier to get part of it Right, you'd like to think that a lot of what happened in in South Africa, they did get to some fundamental truths. They did make declarations of what had been and and that it was felt to be wrong, and that a different future needed to exist. But how close did they get to what that future was supposed to be? <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: it, the same people still in power, right? The same people still have. What you know, I always say: those who control the natural resources control the world. In 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 from from this perspective, those who control the natural resources in South Africa control South Africa, whether they're in a governmental or, uh, position or not, right? Most of the most powerful people in the world. They're not interested in the politics of it all, right? Because they can influence both sides. So if I still own the land, if I still own the natural resources, if I still own the riches, I'm willing to apologize if I don't have to give it up. (laughs) But when I have to give it up, that's that's the issue. So how do we reconcile? Is it just enough to reconcile to say we were wrong, but yet we don't make it better for the future? Is an apology enough? what has to happen and we know if we start talking about people giving up resources you know that's a most time that's a cause of war
0: and what happens to the path forward right Mm -hmm. so when one of the fundamental concepts to the principle of of reconciliation of any kind has to do with establishing that path forward right so in the absence of Different opportunities, payback, if you will. What you know, what potential is there for reconciliation?
1: You know, we talk about forgiving but not forgetting, right? And so when you're reconciling, you're being asked to forgive because there's been an acknowledgement. You still won't forget because of what happened, because what happened has created the present. As you talked about, what's most important is the path forward, right? How do we create a path forward that's a, still a win for everybody, right, um, where there's inclusion in the whole economic equation of a country, Right there's inclusion not only from an employment perspective but from a perspective of ownership of of businesses, ownership of homes, um, being able to get banking loans where the interest rates are reasonable and and not exploitative. Right, and so all of that comes into play, and it's a difficult path to create because someone is being asked to give up something to probably some people they don't think that's deserving of. And so for me, when I think about reconciliation it's really not from a resource perspective, but from a human perspective. How do we reconcile in such a way that we recognize everybody as being human? You know, I think uh, Dr. Glord, Eddie Glord out of Princeton University wrote a book And he talked about the value gap, right? And it's difficult to reconcile anything where you think that you have more value than someone else. And so we have to first reconcile to bring about equality amongst human beings where one human sees another human as equally of value uh, and not someone that's a, a burden to them because you often hear people say, "I, I pay, you know, I don't want to have to pay my taxes for them. I'm paying taxes for me."
0: So. What well, kind of gets at the concept of of one of the pitfalls that you hear a lot is that racial reconciliation ultimately serves the dominant culture. Mm-hmm. And you kind of see that in South Africa. You talked about it earlier. Um, you know, it basically is a get out of jail free card in a sense, right? Because Mm -hmm. it gets the opportunity to say it was wrong and you get to the place of, you know, we, you know, we're fellow humans, let's move on forward together. And then that's the end of it. And so we haven't done anything to make it right. So one of the things that you hear about in the religious context is the involvement of repentance, Mm -hmm. right? Which Mm -hmm. means, you know, not only is it the acknowledgement of wrong, but it's the commitment Mm -hmm. to a path forward Mm -hmm. that makes that right. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, we can't, we're, 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 unable to undo history mm-hmm. at this point in time, we're relatively unable to mm-hmm. even have a true accounting of history. And we see that all over the place. We mm-hmm. certainly are seeing it in our, our local uh, education system, mm-hmm. our local school board, this unwillingness to acknowledge the realities of a lot of things that happened in our community, really, mm-hmm. you know, going back pre eighteen ninety eight Wilmington, but even eighteen ninety eight Wilmington mm-hmm. uh, education around that, mm-hmm. and and so when we think about the process of reconciliation, it almost seems like a hill too high because we are struggling to even get to the truth of what happened and an open mm-hmm. acknowledgement. You know, we've done some things. Mm-hmm. But it's not in the fabric of people's learning going forward, mm-hmm. right? It's not like we see in some other countries like Germany, where they have you know all these Holocaust memorials, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and so there's there's like there's no way to forget what happened mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we seem to try really hard to forget what history was here. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's the challenge. Instead of embracing, discussing, and creating solutions, what we choose to do as a country is simply let's forget about it. That was a long time ago, right? Let's live for right now. Not understanding that what happened a long time ago has an impact on a lot of lives today. You know, when I first came in this morning, I was telling you that a couple friends sent me one, an article, and the other one was, um, a, um, a YouTube piece, and it was they were about the desecration of two uh, African American uh, graveyards. What happened in one in in Florida was, you know, all of a sudden this land, because of the development, seemed to become pretty pretty valuable, and so developers wanted to build on it. And so instead of talking about moving the graveyard what they decided to do was build on top of it and they had to know that it was a graveyard so they're built on top of it and so now all of a sudden these bones are showing up and they're testing the bones and they're finding out that this was a graveyard and these were the people who were, were buried there and you know you have two you have the developers in the community and then you have those african-americans and now they're talking about what do we do How do we resolve this? How do we work together to make it, you know, benefit for all? And so you got a group of African-Americans, they tear down the school, tear down the building because you desecrated this particular graveyard. And this is history. This is history we'll never get back. And you got the other people saying, well, progress says that we continue to build. And, you know, maybe we pay you some money or we build some monuments to those who, who died and who were buried there, right? So there's a lot of emotion attached to all of it, right, from a business end, from a profit perspective, right, growth perspective. And then you have those who are talking about their history and how it's been uh, desecrated. And so the emotions often prevent logical conversation from happening finding ways to move forward that benefit both the developers as well as those who family members were, were, were buried there. We don't want to get to solutions, right? We just want people to simply, let's brush it under the rug, you know, they're dead, right? And, and, and so let's keep moving on, that was years ago. And that's just not how we handle Things are supposed to handle things. We're supposed to be better than that as a country because we always hear the phrase, well, that's not who we are. Yes, it is because you did it. <laughs> the evidence is clearly there. So that's who you are. And so let's at least acknowledge that and then try to find solutions versus forget all about it. That's the easy way out. I've heard that too often, forget all about it. No, let's, let's, let's work toward a win that's going to be uh, beneficial for everybody.
0: Well, that gets us back to one of our previous episodes, fact-based conversation, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> like, well, here's the facts of what has happened right. historically. And if memory serves, I believe recently in just over our county border in Pender County, I think they had a major uh, disruption during development uh, of, of some grave sites. And I, I don't know how that ultimately got reconciled or if it is uh, but again it's that pattern it's that pattern that we see and one of the things that's always I think very difficult for us to to get with is a fundamental element of our culture of white culture is individualism Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right and so it makes it really easy for somebody like me to say well I didn't do that. I, I wasn't part of that. I didn't do that. I'm not on the hook for that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not personally biased. I'm a good guy. It's a pretty slippery slope <laughs> to where all that goes. Mm-hmm. It allows us to negate mm-hmm. the presence of all these systemic factors that have existed for a long time that really do create an unlevel playing field, right? And so as long as we totally are willing and and eager to put things in the context of an individual, then disadvantaging groups is gonna be okay <laughs> in terms of what really happens. Right. <laughs> we can give it lip service that says, no, of course we wouldn't do that. But at the end of the day, when you look at at what's happening Especially on an opportunity basis, we're not very different than we always historically have been in terms of who's disadvantaged, who's not, what rules we play by, how we, you know, basically put the world together.
1: Right. And that's why I go back to reconciliation, meaning the reconciliation of what it means to be human, to understand that you have to see me as a human being. I see you as a human being. And when we see each other as human beings, then we work for the benefit of us as human beings versus the hue of our skin. From an an African-American perspective and African-American origin, we believe in collectivism. We've always kind of had to kind of work together to to persevere uh, in, in what we do so that that We've learned a lot of individual, uh, individualism, but as a whole, it is being a collective. And so, with that, we have to understand that to, to create solutions there has to be the collective conversation, right? The inclusive, all-inclusive conversation with everybody. But there has to be a willingness to do so. Um, And then, not just the conversation, because there's so many conversations around a lot of things, right? There has to be action, man. There has to be timelines. There have to be resources that are dedicated toward. It's like a lot of diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives today. There are lots of conversation around it, but when you look at budgets, oftentimes the resources to make DE&I happen are not there. So it's a person or a group of people who are trying to go through an organization and implement something without having any resources, which means it's going to fail. And reconciliation, we've had a lot of conversations, even here at eighteen ninety eight you know the building of the the building of the eighteen ninety eight monument, right, which um there was controversy around that because the conversation was, do we build a monument or do we build a grocery store? The monument won but there's still not a grocery store on the north side of town. And so I can't call that reconciliation because people need to eat every day. And half the people in Wilmington, African-Americans, don't know where the 1898 monument is located. I had to go find it. And when I found it, I said, is this it? So we have to make the right types of decisions, right, that impact people daily. To go sit at a monument on a daily basis means nothing to me if I can't get food. And so (laughs) I'm going to sit there starving? No, don't want to do that. Um, So we have to have the right conversations, the right voices included with an action plan that we can execute against when we talk about reconciliation because it's about bringing something back to an even state, even though the state, was never even um, but it's 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 an interesting topic
0: well when you talk about impact that always has to have a time limit on it mm-hmm. if you really intend to be effective right because it's the basic premise of a, of a smart goal right it's specific it's <laughs> measurable <laughs> it's all you know mm-hmm. and it's time limited and so until we really begin to do that it's going to be difficult to get anywhere, and this this whole uh, theme of individualism versus collective versus systemic, however you want to contextualize it, mm-hmm. individuals still have to bring their best self. It's, mm-hmm. it's not that different than you know what we talk about when we talk about accountability, right, of a team or mm-hmm. of a unit, mm-hmm. is that. The expectation is still that individuals bring their best selves, but it's in the interest of something bigger. And man, we see so many mistakes around that these days. You know, Mm -hmm. we see it in well intentioned but non impactful ways. Right. Mm -hmm. So one of the ones that always comes to my mind is behavioral based interviewing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And if we're not extremely careful about that entire process, including how we source candidates and things, basically we just recreate more of the same people. Right. Because our, our core tendency is to seek safety. It's, It's, goes way back, right? Seeking safety, we seek safety in groups. Those groups tend to look like us. Mm-hmm. And what's happened is that the utility of that approach has has basically run its course. But we can't seem to adapt to a better way of thinking. And we see it, I think the greatest connection that I always like to highlight is life expectancy, mm-hmm. uh, and as we've seen pre-COVID, you know, for the first time in in history, we see a decrease in life expectancy,
1: mm.
0: and that driven largely by middle-aged white males mm. and diseases of despair. Mm -hmm. it became a different dialogue then Mm -hmm. but what that illustrates to me is our interdependence Mm -hmm. because we have to be honest enough with ourselves to say that if there's a willingness to leave a certain group out maybe it's african americans maybe Mm -hmm. it's indigenous peoples Mm -hmm. maybe it's Black and brown people of all kinds. Maybe it's women. Maybe mm-hmm. it's LGBT. But mm-hmm. if 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 our system is willing to leave out any one of these groups, and we're going to group people that are different than ourselves, mm-hmm. that's our tendency.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's just a tiny step away from leaving me out. And we have to understand, you know, at some level, we have to embrace the truth in that right because otherwise our progress is capped until we can begin to take advantage of the richness of diversity Mm -hmm. we're stuck right where we are whether we're talking about life expectancy or innovation or team success of any kind we really have have applied our own glass ceiling by being exclusionary and leaving groups behind?
1: See, for me, that's the question. For me, the question is, why is it that the people who exclude everyone... Let me back up. What is it about the people who exclude everyone that enables them to be so exclusive? It's about what their weakness is as to why they're doing the excluding, not necessarily a strength. There's a fear in my mind as to why I have to exclude everything that doesn't look like me or doesn't think like me from the equation there's a fear that maybe I don't excel there's a fear of maybe I can't grab the power that I need to grab need the resources so I actually like to put it back on those people who do the excluding to ask them why is it that you have to exclude everything that doesn't look like you to me that's a question that has to be asked, and answered. And what's also interesting to me is around reconciliation, when you go through the, when you Google it, everything comes up religion. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay. That's not amazing. <laughs> Everything comes up religion around reconciliation. I'm saying, so, if you have this religious view of reconciliation, why is it that you can't do right by those who need the reconciliation that you should be reconciling with because it's supposed to be a godly act, right? And if it is a godly act, then there's so many groups of people who needs to be reconciled with in order to make us a godly country or a godly world. So that's the question I have to ask about it.
0: Yeah, it's so fascinating because, you know, I consider myself a a person of deep faith, but I have some real reservations <laughs> right. with religion right um, it's been weaponized mm-hmm. uh it's been weaponized for discrimination for a long long time and uh it's very interesting that the whole reconciliation movement got such powerful traction in that space and yeah I think that really started in the nineties twenty twenty two So we haven't seen a lot of progress, (laughs) right? The impact has not Mm -hmm. been great. It's confined to dialogue, Mm -hmm. again, which doesn't, you know, talk is important. It's also pretty cheap, Mm -hmm. unbacked up by action. And so how do we, you know, again, it's moving moving things into an actionable space, right? And you hit it. I mean, you know, there's a lot of fear, you know. It takes us to... Imposter syndrome, it takes mm-hmm. us to uh, just fear of of not being good enough, I think. And we mm-hmm. know that power always guards mm-hmm. the fear. And mm-hmm. the power structure mm-hmm. in this country has been set for its entire history. Mm-hmm. And so that power guards that fear. Mm-hmm. And we have persistence of the status quo. But it's to our own detriment. Mm-hmm. It's not enabling us to look at things. And we see it play out, right? We see it play out. At things like school boards and and the whole uh, parents' right movement, which is for the most part, as best I can tell, is fairly thinly veiled mm-hmm. attempt that says, in, in summary, I I want to be in control of what my kids learn. Mm-hmm. What a recipe for disaster, mm-hmm. right? Because I mean, education is a Is a specialty in and of itself, right? It'd be like saying, "I'm I'm going to do surgery on my kids because I know what they need," Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? How many people would say that? I mean, not many, a few maybe, but you know, it's this. Let's not let's not expand based on available knowledge. Let's not adapt our systems. You know, and on the one hand, we talk about how. We've got this mental health crisis, especially in the youth, and COVID mm-hmm. made it worse. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, we got a vocal minority of parents saying we want to we want to control what our kids learn, and it needs to be the three R's. And you know, and it's it's like those two things. You talk about reconciliation. How do you reconcile those things?
1: <laughs> that's a that's a great question, right? Um, I want to control what my kids learn. And I I, I don't want them to learn truth, right? I don't want them to learn what actually happened. Uh, We're going to recreate this history. And we're going to control the books that they read because those books might make them feel bad.
0: Um, Isn't that amazing? I mean, so, you know, you've got this long history of, Of controlling that narrative, right? Daughters of Confederacy, all the Mm -hmm. school textbooks, and you've controlled that narrative for Mm -hmm. decades upon decades. Mm -hmm. And then for someone to say, you know, I mean, maybe it's a person who looks like me that says, I don't want my kids to be uncomfortable based on what they read, (laughs) but Terry, it's okay for your kids Mm -hmm. to be uncomfortable based on what they live.
1: Which is based on what we read yeah it's it's interesting um you know I, I <clears throat> there's a there's a lot over the last there's a lot that's come out over the last month about a lot of things right and and the double standards that exist, right We can listen to music and we can hear the n word we can have people called say the n word, but yet if other people say certain words, then they're considered you know that that whole word there's a word that's that's really uh weaponized right and it doesn't matter what the facts is just they say this is what this is and everybody has to bow down to when this someone's considered anti-semitic right everybody has to bow down to that and that shouldn't be the case we should be able to have conversation around how when I hear the n-word how it makes me feel right I know what the definition of the word is Um, and I'll say this, God didn't make the n-word. God made human beings. It was a group of people who began to utilize this word in a very derogatory way, they created that. But I know that I don't fit that, that definition, right? But it's been derogatory the entire time. Now some people will say, well, People are using it in music, and people are using this, and people walk around every day. Yeah, it's kind of a term of endearment for some people. I don't see it that way. I see it a totally different way from a, a, a from a elder's perspective. Meaning, I see it from a a, a, a way a, a word of deg- degrading people. That's how I I see it. But again, the creator did and create that. That was created by man for a particular reason to make someone feel inferior, or subservient. Right. I understand that. But that conversation needs to be had around all groups of people because it shouldn't be that certain people can use it in music or entertainment and it's okay. But if there's a thought against another group of people, then all of a sudden these people got to pay, right? Um, they got to go through these, 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 um, these classes to be uh, become sensitive to what happened to these people. Um, and they got, to, they got to pay reparations, got to give this organization $500,000 as a part of that. And they got to sit out some NBA games as a result of that. Well, uh, and then here comes a guy that we see on a picture in 1957 who's preventing black students from going into the classroom. And he's the owner of a professional team. And nobody is saying he should have had to go through the same kinds of things. And I'm like, so what's the difference? It's the same to me, but what's the difference? Well, I know what the difference is, right? But those are the kinds of conversations we need to have, but people don't want to have those conversations. You know what they say? Oh, your guys always wanna have the black-white conversation. Well, we never had it. This country has never had that conversation. That's why it's needed. And until you have that conversation, You won't resolve anything around gender issues, LGBTQ, because that's at the very root of it all. The discrimination that we can talk with, that we discuss, that's the very root of all the other discriminations that happen. And if you don't get to the root cause of it, you won't solve it. And that's why we have those issues. Right. And so just this whole piece of reconciliation going back to religion. Right. Um, it's extremely, it's the whole forgiveness piece. That's why people can say, well, we forgive and we know it happened. Now let's forget about it and move on versus creating a solution. Because that I know of, and I, I, I consider myself a, a deeply spiritual person, there not been a lot of worldly solutions that have come out of religion. And so that in and of itself <laughs> is a farce.
0: Yeah, these, as we, gosh, this could be one of our byline <laughs> quote, right? These conversations need to be had. Yes. And it's a difficult conversation. It's an uncomfortable conversation, especially when there's not a pre existing relationship. Uh, and too often, our patterns, driven by lack of reconciliation, Mm-hmm preclude those relationships because we don't have proximity. We don't have enough interaction with people that are different than we are. For some reason, a lot of us seem to be comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. And here we are 400 years later, still stuck.
1: <laughs> and, and, and believing in the same God and going to different churches and the people at Pine Valley Baptist, and the people at Ebenezer Baptist believe it in the same God, but there's a world of difference in how they live, all based on religion. And, and if I'm not mistaken, if I go, if I take a look at the Latin root of the word religion, it really means to oppress, to hold, to bind. And if that is the, ra- the Latin root of religion, then maybe that's not what we should be practicing. Maybe it should be spirituality versus religion.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, it's the one thing we know for sure is that you know Sunday at eleven o'clock is the most segregated hour of the week. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, it right. almost doesn't matter where you are. That's right. Uh, and that's that's that is not to say that there isn't work being done right. in those spaces, right? right. right. It, has nothing to do with what people's good intentions may right. or may not be. That's right. But what it does say is that a difference has not been made. That's right. And when we really do the when we do the homework on that, every time we come to a situation where we say progress has not been made, then we really need to reconsider what we've been doing and consider very strongly doing something different. Maybe it's a slight pivot, maybe it's a tectonic shift, uh, but there's no reason to think that persistence in the same unsuccessful things are going <laughs> to miraculously one day make things profoundly different.
1: It takes perspective, and you get different perspectives from having different con- from having different voices in the conversation, right? It takes the ability to—I don't even like the phrase "think outside the box," but try to think differently understanding that what we've been doing is not working so we got to do something different in order to get it to work right but then there's the status quo that don't that that doesn't want any of that to happen right because the fear of the loss of control the loss of power the loss of resources so the status quo is always busy trying to keep the status quo the status quo right and so, when you have those conversations, I think there are also people from the status quo who's always trying to sabotage those conversations, right? They're trying to sabotage what's what those actions are, and so that's why some some things don't don't happen as they should because there's all the, always the saboteurs out there who are looking to maintain their status because it benefits them, and they don't see how a new future could benefit them when it could benefit them by adding their voice to the conversation, right? And seeing and hearing the different perspectives and then probably getting a a little nugget that might give them a different perspective of how to continue to move forward, how to continue to use their resources, but in the benefit of all.
0: So true. It's, um, there's a leap of faith moment Mm. that has to happen. And it's really hard when there's profound fear. Mm. Folks that, that have a lot of resources, have privilege of any, any kind, can at times become so bound up by fear that they can't see that something better is just on the other side of that leap. Mm -hmm. And we see the ramifications of that, in my opinion, with the stagnation of our society. As we're starting to see other countries excel beyond us, whether it's in technology, whether it's in industry of Mm -hmm. various kinds, Mm -hmm. whether it's Mm -hmm. in education of their Mm -hmm. children whether Mm -hmm. it's in health outcomes Mm -hmm. which I think you know that really speaks to where we are on the world stage right like Mm -hmm. we can blow a bunch of stuff up but we can't take care of mothers and babies <laughs> as well as, you know, mm-hmm. some third world countries. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, man. If ever there was a come on, man. Yeah, it's a come on, man. One. That's right. I mean, that's one, right? That's like, right. And so, what will it take? What will it take for people to see that we have to do things different? And, you know, I'll. I'll be the first to acknowledge just people that look like me, right? I mean, mm-hmm. some of the greatest mm-hmm. minds of our t- mm-hmm. of our time and before our time, Albert Einstein would mm-hmm. say, you know, racism is a white problem, and it's also one of the worst problems that we face. It'll ultimately be the destruction of a society. Mm-hmm. That may be what we're seeing right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I remember going to um, uh, it was a presentation on UNCW's campus, and the title of the presentation <clears throat> was around racism and progress uh, in the United States, or in this, actually in the South, how people have been discriminated against. And so I I was reading about it in the paper. I said, you know what, that's interesting. I think I'm going to attend that. So I go out on campus, and I sit in a room, and I begin to observe who's coming in the room and who's not coming in the room. So I'm in a room of probably about 30 people. Um, It was a white female professor. Um, There were probably more white females there than anyone else. I saw maybe three or four African-Americans, to include myself. Um, No Hispanics but a presentation was around the racism and the prejudice that Hispanics had suffered in the south and so as i'm looking at this presentation i thought it was going to be something different and i was like well who's who's been more discriminated against and and and, and more experienced more racism in the south than african americans How do you get off on this Hispanic Mexican piece? You know, not that they haven't been discriminated against, but I was very taken aback by that. But I sat and I listened to the entire presentation. And so I asked a question. And I I asked the question of the professor. I said, So I understand that you're saying that Hispanics and, and, you know, Mexicans have been discriminated against. But when do we deal with the real issue? And she said, what do you think the issue is? I said, well, I think the issue is those who are maintaining the status quo. And I think those who are maintaining the status quo are white males. So how do we get past the fragility of the psyche of the white male to solve these problems? And a big smile popped up on her face. And she didn't ask my a question, but at the end of the presentation, at, after the presentation was over, she said, that was an excellent question. And she says, you hit the nail on the head, but I didn't want to answer that in front of everybody. And she said, but that is the problem. And then she left it alone. She didn't say anything else. And I said, to maintain the status quo, that's actually what's happening. It's the system, right? It's, it's systemic, right? And it's generational. Because we people keep saying, well, we, we think we're moving away from racism, but it, it might not be blatant racism. But a father is teaching a son a certain way to act and a certain way to do certain things, and so it begins to become generational now. And and it's it's natural because people gravitate toward those people who look like them, right? So it's it's, it's natural, you know. I understand that, but when we're dealing with human beings of different hues, and the hues only reflect in science, a bodily function. No more, no less. It's just a bodily. My hue the way it is because it serves a bodily function. That's it. How do we get how do we get to, to that knowledge to understand that and say we're all human? However, his hue just makes him a little bit different around how his body is going to function in the sun. That's it. But we're human, so let's do what's best for humans. That's and, where we have to go.
0: Yeah, you know, maybe again, maybe that's the beginning of the process, the reconciliation process, if you know, if we can get there is that truth piece, right? Mm-hmm. So how did that construct come about? And and we know it mm-hmm. it was intentionally done hundreds of years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. To create this artificial difference that basically, uh, for, for a simplified way of doing it, basically it div- permanently divided mm-hmm. labor in mm-hmm. this country, mm-hmm. right? It mm-hmm. made it so that whites that made up the labor class, if you will, mm-hmm. would never consolidate with blacks to do what was in the best interest Mm -hmm. of the mutual good Mm -hmm. because they were seen as different and Mm -hmm. they could be described as different. Mm -hmm. But fast forward hundreds of years to early 2000s when we complete the Human Genome Project, Mm -hmm. a great feat of science, Mm -hmm. which we really don't pay attention to now, Mm -hmm. by the way, but that's Mm -hmm. a whole nother, Mm -hmm. 99.98% genetic similarity mm-hmm. amongst humankind where there's no difference, right? If you if you failed to embrace the historical truths of how race was created mm-hmm. and you could have failed to embrace that all the way to the early 2000s, how can you continue to fail to embrace the <laughs> truth, the mm-hmm. fact of the thing that mm-hmm there's more genetic difference within a given ethnicity right. than there is between races in humankind. There's, it's the human race as long as we can def- deny that fact. We ain't getting anywhere. No. And no. you know, I mean, people talk, you know, Jane Elliott talks about mm-hmm. it a lot. tons mm-hmm. of people talk mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. yet. We're stuck. It's the, it's a process of miseducation and misinformation
1: on mass scale. And, and you hit on it earlier, and I'm gonna use a different phrase, a diff- yeah, different phrase. I like to call it intentional deceit, because we know what the truth actually is. We know what the science actually says. We know that there's one human race, yet there's a huge faction that wants to keep the lie going about the differences of what it is when in fact we know we can go to the human genome project and we can this is what it is so now how do we move forward knowing that this is what it is and there is no no difference right so now if we know what it is one human race we move together as one human race but the distractions, and we talked about this in in another episode, the distraction is all of these different stories, here's here's race, and so you are of this people, and this people, and this people, and this people, and to even more convoluted, if you come to the United States from Northern Africa, and you're dark skinned, you're still considered white. By U.S. laws, there's there's actually some lawsuits happening around that. I think I shared with you that, yeah, that government the document, government right? Document, that's amazing. So to, to even convoluted even more, my skin, the hue of my skin is black, but because I come from Morocco or maybe even Egypt and I come to the U.S., now I'm classified as white. There's something wrong with that, right? <laughs> that's the perpe- that's the perpetuation of the lie around the races when in fact there's only one. Race and that's the human race. And if we can reconcile to understanding that there's one race and we need to do what's best for all, then all of all this used to discriminate, whether it's religion, whether it's education, whether it's uh, neighborhood, uh, whether it's occupation, all of those go by the wayside because all we're going to do in moving forward through the reconciliation is move forward as human beings.
0: Yeah, maybe we need a "Let Go the Lie" campaign, right? We yes. seem to be—we're you know, <laughs> a society driven by slogan now. I mean, you don't have to know anything; you just got to be able to say a nice slogan. You know, maybe it's—maybe it's "Let Go the Lie."
1: Yeah, "Let Go the Lie," or what is it? Uh, fake? Was it fake? Tr- fake news? Fake truth? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, all it is. Right? It's.
0: Uh, it, but those are starting places, right? Like mm-hmm. we cannot—we cannot get very far without those fundamental truths being openly acknowledged. And that opens up all kinds of possibility. And one of the other just fundamental concepts about this, you you hear some people talk about it, but not enough, I don't think, Mm -hmm. is that sometimes two things that are true seem in opposition Mm. there can be overlapping truth Mm -hmm. a lot of times, Mm -hmm. you know, and Mm -hmm. we've got to get comfortable with that Mm -hmm. at at some level. It is another, uh, that's another, really, I'll call it another white construct of the world is Mm -hmm. that there's one best answer, Mm -hmm. that there are Mm -hmm. two opposing things. You have to pick one. Either or. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That there, you know, that there's a right and a wrong instead of ranges Mm -hmm. of, of actions that at some point may tip over into that scale. There's a right way to dress Mm -hmm. and a wrong way to Mm -hmm. dress. There's Mm -hmm. a, and we see it playing out all the time. Mm -hmm. At some level, these are conversations we have to have.
1: I remember coming up in undergrad Gotta get out and get a job after school. So you gotta have, you know, you gotta have on a nice uh, white starch shirt, tie, suit, because that's what's worn in corporate America, right? And so everybody, that's that's and 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 as a business major, that's what you were taught. But well, let's fast forward to today and let's see what's worn in corporations today, right? There was a construct around corporate America because the majority of corporate America was white. And so that was the way they dressed, and I remember hearing the stories of IBM and Big Blue, the the navy blue suit, the red, the red and blue tie, the starch white shirt, and you know you had your, your 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 black shoes on, right? That was the IBM way. But slowly but surely, it's it's kind of morphed. It's it's I guess you can call it progress, where now that's not the the dress, right, of what corporations actually look like. So that gives me some hope, if you will, that over a period of time that this reconciliation can help, uh, or can work. <clears throat> because I, it, it takes multiple conversations, numerous conversations, over and over and over again to get people to understand that we're just human. We're just, we're just human. I want the same thing you want, you want the same thing I want, we want the same thing for, you know, uh, for our children, Um, and that most human beings want the same thing. For whatever reason, these stories, these narratives have been created over a period of time around black, and white, Republican, and Democrat, conservative, and and and, and and you know, liberal or progressive. All these labels that we like to put on things, right? When the fact remains we're just all human beings.
0: Yeah, labels are the are the curse, right? And I, you know, you're talking about the suit way of being, you know, we've got our equivalent of that in surgery. Mm-hmm. And it's when you take your board examination, right? And it's typically held in a that we do um Oral boards, mm-hmm. There's, you have mm-hmm. to go in front of three uh, pairs of examiners and they give you questions and mm-hmm. you answer. And you know, So pretty intimidating experience for folks a lot of times. But it starts out in a hotel. It'll be a nice hotel, <laughs> long hallway, and all the candidates for examination are standing outside the door. Not mm. allowed to knock on the door. Mm. The door will open when it's your time to go in and you look up and down. And everybody better be in a black or gray suit.
1: Mm.
0: Women too, mm. if there are any. Mm-hmm. In my uh, in my general surgery boards, there were no women. It was mm. all white men.
1: Mm.
0: Probably two thirds gray, one third black suit. Mm. All black shoes, and they better tie because nobody wants a surgeon who wears loafers that they don't even can't even tie a knot in their shoes, <laughs> right? And so it's just this whole. Mm-hmm. This is how it has to be. Now, does that really have anything to do with how competent a surgeon you're going to be? I'd have to say no. I mean, having been a surgeon for all these years, I mean, I I don't think the way I dress had much to do with it. Some had to do with my comfort in a given situation. But, you know, it's just amazing how we prioritize these things, how we are seeking such belonging, right? And we're also perpetuating myths based on that desire because it seems safer. Mm-hmm. But in the long run, we're not reconciling any of the problems right. that we have. Creating That's, more, if anything. We're creating more problems. We're perpetuating the same situation. And like so many of these conversations, we come to the end with no <laughs> answers, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, yeah. It, yeah. Well, maybe we had some, though, right? Like if we... If we had the right folks that were willing to entertain more Mm -hmm. of these conversations, if we had blends of folks that represented different demographics, Mm -hmm. like you and I do, Mm -hmm. we might be able to get somewhere.
1: I hope that we provoke thought, and I hope that that thought turns into conversation and those conversations turn into action. Because it's past time for, for reconciliation, right? not only just here in the u.s but around the world this past time for human beings to reconcile with human beings right and understand that we all want the same things out of life and we we all want to have progress so hopefully we've done that today
0: yeah long overdue long yes. overdue yes. we want to thank our audience hope you'll uh, join us on our youtube channel uh, unlikely intersections like subscribe share hit us up at our website unlikelyintersection.com Find me on YouTube at Doc Philip Brown or you Terry. can find
1: me Terry Jackson PhD on LinkedIn. You can also find me on Facebook. And again, as Doctor Brown said, go to the go to our website, go to the YouTube channel, like, subscribe, uh, make any comments, and feel free to make recommendations around topics you'd like us to discuss. Thanks for joining us at the intersection.